I do want to um, obviously have some chairs behind me. I'm going to have a panel come up here in just a minute, um, and we're going to interact with some leaders a little bit. I do want to talk about opposition this morning. Uh, uh, what I want to talk about is that kingdom leaders face opposition because the way of the kingdom is a threat to every other way. Will you embrace the, and persevere the right kinds of conflict? I just want to make sure you hear that. Will you embrace and persevere the right kinds of conflict? This riot is not spontaneous. It's not out of nowhere, nor is it simple. It is well-crafted, and it's for specific reasons. It's a riot against the way of Jesus instigated by people who feel threatened. And like we talked about, their financial way of life is threatened. Our trade will lose its good name. Their worldview and the design of their society in line with that worldview is being threatened. The temple will be discredited. And the reputation of their God is being threatened. Artemis will be robbed of divine majesty. Opposition comes from people who feel threatened. And the way of the kingdom uh, uh, is threatening, particularly to idols. The, the way of the kingdom, uh, uh, when faithfully proclaimed and demonstrated, will poke at idols. Especially the more we understand about ourselves, the more we understand about the context we've been called to love and serve, and the more that we start to understand about the kingdom, I actually think over time it calls out more idols <laughs> The more we understand the idols that exist among the people that we've been called to love and serve, the more we see them clearly, and the more we understand the kingdom over time. The more we will be compelled, actually, over time to speak uh, um, with wisdom and to demonstrate with wisdom and sensitivity directly against the idols of our time that are holding captive a lot of times our people. And sometimes, we have to be honest, sometimes we can operate out of a persecution mentality, if we can make space for that this morning. Um, sometimes we can think that Christianity is designed to be hated in an abstract way. And um, it's, I'll say it's my opinion, that, that Christians are notorious for creating conflict that's unnecessary, actually. Um, or uh, uh, cultivating and crafting and growing to scale imaginative uh, uh, opposition, imagining and projecting to a large scale an opposition that simply is not based in reality. I would say um, so I, I think sometimes that happens because uh, we feel like we should, rightfully so, we feel like we should be in opposition to something. But we're not actually engaged with people on the ground and being able to identify in a real, enfleshed way what the idols are of the moment and the time. And so we actually replace that need for opposition with fake things like red cups at Starbucks. And, you know, the, um, I, think, I think a few weeks ago, you know, the, the horrific shooting that happened at Christ Church and Obama just posted a thing about like condolences for the Easter worshipers. There was this huge, huge thing about like how dare you call them Easter worshipers? They're Christians, and we're so persecuted in our time. Guys, it's not persecution. <laughs> That's not opposition in any meaningful way. Uh, um, and I think we can we are notorious for because we feel the need a little bit, especially from the New Testament narrative, that we are going to be under threat. We are going to be opposition. And where is that? And then we can make things up because we're not actually enfleshed with people in the neighborhood, in the workplace, in the dorm, in the classroom, who are actually under the grip and reign of idols in their life that the kingdom is coming against. And then to actually come face to face with like enfleshed opposition. 
not just in an individual way, but even in like a systems way, the powers and principalities that exist to keep that opposition, th that idolatry in place that's been designed to hold that. And so the, the, I do think it's essential uh, for missionaries to learn how to embrace the, the right kinds of opposition, to persevere opposition. But the opposition that comes from people who feel unavoidably threatened by the authentic and faithful demonstration and proclamation of the kingdom of God. And I think it's essential to missionary life and microchurch leadership to discern the source of that opposition. Not to just experience opposition and just, and just to think blanketly, this, this is hard, but I'm going to stick through it. But to discern where it's coming from. If opposition comes from visceral threat, what is the kingdom of God threatening? Have you ever asked that question? And to try to understand why it is that, that a person or a people feel threatened and are opposing your work or your leadership or the, the way of life that you and your kingdom or in your community are embracing. Threatening their way of life, threatening their source of income, threatening their source of perceived fulfillment, threatening their pursuit of pleasure or safety, threatening their sense of self, -deri of, of self derived from their worldview, threatening their reputation, threatening their legacy, threatening their family, family's reputation and history and legacy. I think it's important to discern the source of that opposition and I also think it's important to acknowledge that there isn't just one biblical way to respond to opposition. But there's actually, I actually think there's biblical permission and logic and precedent for a whole lot of different ways to respond to opposition. As was mentioned, I think sometimes there's, there's direct public engagement with, with opposition. I, think, I actually think there, there, there are stories, and I think they're told in an affirmative way, that there's times to run from opposition. Totally like you had full, full permission and freedom, discerned with the Holy Spirit, run. <laughs> Get out of here. I think there's times to stay, but to be silent and avoid it. I, think there, I actually think there's a whole lot of times where opposition should be responded to with enemy love to, to actually give, give them the cloak, walk an extra mile. To actually respond with proactive love to that opposition. And I think there's times to respond in nonviolent resistance. Turn the other cheek. Bring it. Come on. There's actually a whole lot of uh, a precedent for ways in which to... So when somebody says, whenever you deal with opposition in ministry, you've got to respond this way. It's too narrow. Because there's actually like... I, I think there's a whole lot of interpretive freedom to actually receive permission from the Spirit of God in time and space with people to respond in certain ways. And I actually think the way in which you respond to opposition partially depends on what's being threatened. Where it's coming from. If the demonstration and proclamation of the kingdom of God is threatening a person's value and worth, and they're, they're acting out of that, I actually think you have to respond in enemy love. A lot of times. Uh, but I think if, you're, if, if what's being threatened is power, we talked about earlier, what's being threatened is a sense of power and they want to hold on to power, I think there's a whole lot of reasons to, to respond, not in like proactive enemy, lo enemy love, but in nonviolent resistance. So there's, there's a whole lot of places, there's a lot of spectrum here, which is why I'd love to invite uh, um, some people up this morning to have a little bit of a panel so that people can talk about their own experiences of opposition. Maybe if they could even discern what, the, what that opposition was coming from, and some ways in which they responded to it. 
uh, uh, prayerfully, run away from it, engage it directly, um, and to, to, to be able to highlight the tension and the spectrum that's here. So I'm going to invite up uh, Jillian's here this morning. She's going to come up with Created. We've got um, uh, Essence is going to join us this morning. Essence is coming up. And we also have um, uh, um, JP. JP's coming up. JP's coming up this morning. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so um, before we like answer a bunch of questions, you know, half the room knows you, half the room doesn't. Uh, so why don't you why don't you start out? What's going on? Oh yeah, okay, okay, I get it. It's true. It's true. It's true. Um, why don't you why don't you share with the room uh, your name? But also like the microchurch you're a part of right now, what that microchurch does, and I'm okay if it's like a couple different microchurches. Like share, like I'm because it, it, sometimes it is right. Sometimes it is. So so you can share uh, um, if you're a part of a couple, and if you're gonna share it all about opposition you've experienced in microchurches you've been a part of in the past, uh, you can share about that microchurch too. So go ahead and just introduce yourself. All right, I'll go first. Uh, I'm, my name is Jean Paul Nicafin, or JP for short. Yeah. Um, I'm a part of the Well. Um, and among other things, but I'll focus on the well today. Yeah, yeah. Um, so our ministry is mostly focused on the poor and also those who don't, who live on the streets. Yeah. And so I guess the main thing that affects them is gentrification um, yeah. in a way that it's when the middle class moves into a, a, an impoverished area and start making the, the whole area middle class mm. without worrying about the people who already live there already. Yeah. Displacing them and moving them out of the area through policing or through any other way. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Hi, I'm Jillian. I work with Created, and we serve women. And yeah, yeah. Thanks. Uh, we serve women in our city who are being sexually exploited, and we um, our mission really is to find um, provide places of just belonging as they heal and recover from addiction, trauma, um, trafficking, um, and all of those things. And so. Um, yeah, the oppositions are a lot, so <laughs> yeah, can, right, right. We can definitely get that. Definitely yeah, poverty, sure. definitely, yeah. uh, you know, abusers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, just all of that. Yeah. Hi. So my name is Essence. I am um, yeah. volunteer staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Mm -hmm. So InterVarsity is. There's some of you guys here. Um, probably an overwhelming amount. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so InterVarsity, for those of you who don't know, is just a, a college ministry, um, and we do work on college campuses to just invite students to investigate God um, wherever they are at. Um, and yeah, we face opposition in terms of like sexuality, in terms of money, in mm -hmm. terms of um, uh, racism, yeah. um, substance abuse. Yeah. Um, the list goes on and on. Basically, uh, a lot of idols that are vying for um, young people's lives during the time where they're trying to figure out their life. Yeah. Um, and it's very easy during that time to grasp hold of something that is not God. Um, so those are some of the things that we have sure. struggled with. Yeah, why don't each of you go ahead and share... Um maybe a story or, or be, you know, to identify, it doesn't have to be a story if you don't have one right off the cuff, but to talk about some of the opposition that you've faced. Um, and it can be one or you can, you can describe a, a few different levels of opposition you faced in mission. 
Um, so the well, so we used to be actually um, in Ebor first at our first hub we had a long time ago. But then, um, so we used to have like a drop-in center where people come and get some food, some clothing, a place to sit in AC. And then, um, of course, we have people who live on the streets. It can be a little messy sometimes. And so a lot of issues with the, um, our neighbors and other businesses in the area will often call the cops on us, city enforcement. And so we had issue. We had to eventually, we're going to move eventually, but we had to stop doing the well there. Later on, we moved off into Florida Avenue near the Good Samaritan, also near Metropolitan Ministries. And the same thing happened again. We had a drop-in center for people to come in and get some clothes, food, counseling, clothing, showers. Um, and same thing, the neighborhood actually came after us that time and enforced with, with, through the neighborhood association to force our landlord to pay us, to charge us more rent money. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we couldn't afford it, so we had to shut down that, that location too. But now we're over here down with, um, with the well-built bikes, but we have tons of other ways we do stuff too. But um, I'm at the Good Samaritan particularly, and we used to maybe serve about 80 to 90 people a week, but now we have about maybe about 30 to 40 people. But people are just being displaced, moved out of sure. our area because of gentrification that's happening in our area. Yeah. And it often starts with like policing. People are just coming in all the time, arresting people, um, throwing them in jail, or oftentimes it comes through enforcement. So other places like the well who are shut down too, we're like homeless, helping the homeless, yeah. amazing love, yeah. new beginnings. So all these different places in that pocket were being moved out because yeah. we, need, we need to be more middle class. We need more affluent right. things. We need more businesses here in the area. Right. So we need to get rid of all these poor people. Right. And oftentimes, the reason why poor people often are displaced is because justification brings up property value. A lot of people who are in poverty don't own their homes. They rent yeah. their homes. So oftentimes, the prices go up. They can't afford it. They got to go. Yeah. Um, and so <clears throat> there are tons of ways I yeah. can probably elaborate on, but yeah. those are the main ways we've been affected by the well in that, in that kind of yeah. way. Yeah. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah, um, just a couple stories, I guess. Um, so for those not familiar with Created, uh, one of the main ways uh, that we serve women in this community is through our outreach services. So we um, have our staff and volunteer teams who are going out every Friday night um, meeting women uh, on the street uh, in clubs and in brothels. And so um, I think our direct opposition there is the men that they are often working for, their pimps, their traffickers, the club manager, whoever it is. Um, and so we've had, I would say, so people would probably assume that in those situations, like I think one of the most common questions that I get is like, well, why do people, like how do the, especially the clubs and the brothel, like, well, what do they say when you come to the door? Why do they let you in? Um, why do they let you talk to the women? And our response is always just kind of like, yeah, they really don't care. <laughs> like, and I think that's true in many ways, but it's also not true in many ways. So um, one is, like, I think the reality is they kind of think we're ridiculous. So, like, our opposition is more than anything, like, the stories that are, um, like, the narrative that's going on in their mind, the narrative that's going on in the women's minds, and then what we're trying to do. So I think um, one of the – this was probably about a two years ago, one of the clubs that we go into – 
So apparently one month we accidentally dropped our cards on the club floor. So if you go into a club, it's like the floor and then there's the dressing room. We always try to go to the dressing room because that's when we're really going to get to talk to the women. So one month, apparently one of our baskets tipped over and we dropped our cards all over the floor. So these business cards on one side say, are you ready to get out of the life? And on the other side, say created's number. So the manager was like really mad when we came in the next month. So it was on the way out. We dropped them. We came back the next month. And so he actually stopped me. We're trying to get into the dressing room. And he stopped me at the door and he's like, hey. And he had like, he had um, the business cards in his hand. And he was like, hey, you're not trying to get women out of this club, are you? And I was like, I mean, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know why you think we're here. <laughs> like, but, and then he just started going to this spiel of just like, well, you know, like, what can you even do for them? I'm providing them a job. We're, we're a family here. I'm providing this. I'm providing that. Like, you know, they're, they're making money. Like what job? He was like, what jobs do you have? What do you have for them? What, like, what's your goal? And I was just like th that kind of questioning. It's like, so one, the opposition is like, that was a very spiritual opposition too. Cause I think one yeah. of the spiritual fights we fight as our staff team is like trying to make sure we're providing great resources and like, what are we doing? Cause it can feel some days like we're not doing a lot. Yeah. Um, and so it's like that, like those words just being like so direct yeah. and then, um, also trying to love him. Cause I think in that case, it's like, I don't want to like start a fight in the middle of a club that he owns, right. like, you know, and also like, um, so having, trying to discern like, okay, what is the response here? How do I, and, and for, uh, for me, that discernment was like, okay, this is a time for like the enemy love. Like you're talking about, like, yeah. I have to recognize like, it's really easy. I think for, for me to fall into the, like my own sinful thinking of just looking at all, well, all men in general, no offense men, but, um, definitely club owners and other people that we yeah. see on outreach is just like, no, they're, they're abusers. They are at the exploiting moment, and that's all true, but they're also ch a child of God, mm. and they also, like, are living out their own story, and so in that moment, having to make the decision, okay, how do I directly respond to this, and how do I, um, one, stand for my calling, but also, like, do it in a way that, like, we're still going to be allowed here, um, and so just kind of going through that interaction was really hard, so I think, and that's really when, when we're talking about um, those that are profiting off the exploitation of women, like that's a lot of our opposition conversations. It's yeah. just like, okay, like you are, this is your business as evil and corrupt and wrong that it is. Um, you think we're ridiculous. Mm. You think, you know, what are we even doing here is basically like kind of the mindset that they're in. Like, and again, like people always ask, well, why did they, you know, well, they let us in because they ain't worried about it. They have never seen a woman leave with us. They've never seen, like, those things happen. And so, like, but we know that, like, the spiritual ramifications of our work is what's going on sure. after. Um, and so then, like, a similar story. We had a situation, and this was actually just, like, a couple months ago at Created where um, – so uh, for those who are – well, everybody basically lives in Tampa. Um, you're probably aware that Nebraska um, is one of the most notorious places, notorious places in Tampa for prostitution. And that's actually where Created is located. 
um, is um, on this area of Nebraska. Um, and so, and the reason for that is we want women to know where we are. We want them to be able to find us. Um, we want them to be able to stop by and get resources and all that. And so um, one of our staff members, uh, Miss Neal over here, was walking across the street one day and um, she saw a woman get slapped in the face by a man. And so, I mean, that's not like a non-normal occurrence for us, but like it being that blatant was like, she, it made her stop and come right back into the office and say like, hey, I just saw this happen. Like, well, we need to do something. So like some people come watch my back. And so we, um, so like I had walked across the street and was coming across the street and I see this like team of seven women from Created just walking down the street, like almost like a unit <laughs> towards this woman. And, um, and the man was still there, which we do not recommend, but, um, so like walking to, towards this woman, just saying, screaming at her, like, are you okay? Are you okay? Um, and then they ended up, a couple of people ended up going into, he had taken her to a gas station, going into that gas station saying like, Hey, if you want to leave with us, you can leave with us mm -hmm. and just going in a unit so that like he couldn't say anything. Now, after that happened, so this would be like more of a direct opposition. Like after that happened, she did come with us and came back into created and he just circled our property for an entire day, like trying to scare the shit out of us. Right, I mean, like, right, right, and right. it kind of worked a little bit, but we were holding our ground. Right, um, right. so like he just, yeah, we closed all of our doors. We closed our gate and we're like, we're figuring out what we're going to do to get this woman out of here. And we're just going to lock ourselves in. Um, and so, but he did, he circled the property all day. And so I think it's like, again, it's like that opposition is like his, I can imagine, I didn't speak to him, but I can imagine his thought process is like, no, this is my, this is mine. And you guys are now directly affecting something that is mine. Yeah. And, um, but again, it's like, what is God calling us to do in the moment? Well, in that moment, God was calling us to protect our sister. Yeah. And so we were going to do that no matter the cost. And so it's like in those moments, it's like you never, I, like, I think every day they're going to create it, like you never know what type of opposition is going to come up, right. but it's like, it is being able to discern the moment, like, okay, well, what is God calling us to in that moment? And I wish I could say that like, yeah, after that experience, she left and she's like pursuing healing recovery. She's not. She, we got her a safe place for a couple nights and then she went back to him because that is the cycle of abuse. And right. I think, um, but we still know that like we did, we followed our mission of providing her safety, providing her a place of belonging. You know, we fed her, we loved her. And so um, we can feel confident that like, no, we'll, we'll see her again. Yeah. She'll, she'll come back and she also knows that these things are true. Yeah. So. Um, so mine's more of a story that happened when I was uh, not a staff within a varsity, but when I was a student. Um, my senior year, I was working uh, with a small group that at the University of Tampa um, that was for LGBT students. Um, and we had done a, a lot of work leading up to starting that small group. Um, we were in really good relationship with the pride organization on the campus. Um, I had a job with um, the administration who was in charge of uh, student orgs. And so I knew the people in, in the administration, they knew me and they really liked me. Um, but during that time when I was a senior, there was a, an article that came out 
by Time Magazine about InterVarsity as an organization. Um, I'll just read you guys the title of it. Um, Top Evangelical College Group Dismisses Employees Who Support Gay Marriage. Um, so this is like, most people hadn't even really heard of InterVarsity, um, and now it was to the forefront of the media with under this um, this title, this, this Time Magazine. And it was referring to a document that actually had come out, I think months or maybe years before the, the Time article had, had been written about it. Um, but it was uh, basically a code of conduct for staff workers, people who are working in a university on, on college campuses. Um, and uh, the staff needed to uh, basically agree um, that they held um, certain beliefs. Um, and most for, so the, the administration got wind of this article. Um, and of course they were, were talking to my staff about it. Um, and it directly affected me and my um, small group members at the time because you know, everyone in my small group had usually identified in some way in that LGBT community. Uh, and the risk was if they felt like we were going to be discriminatory against students, that we would be kicked off campus. Um, and that doesn't mean like we're all the students in university are expelled, that would be a bit much, but it's like you are not, uh, recognized as an organization on campus anymore, which means that the university doesn't give you money. So um, a lot of our, we would have a lot less money to send students to conferences that are, that's usually life-changing for a lot of students. Um, we would not be able to meet and, and rent rooms. So we wouldn't have really a place to gather unless it's outside in the yard or um, in someone's dorm room. So if we wanted to meet with more than like 10 people, that really couldn't happen. Um, we wouldn't be able to advertise our events. So, um, because only recognized university clubs are allowed to advertise. Um, and so this affected my small group. It affected uh, all of the other communities. So it wasn't just LGBT, right? There's like a women's small group, a men's small group, a small group for uh, athletes and for international students and black students and Latino students and um, all of these facets on campus that are getting a chance to just be intimate with each other and with Jesus. Um, and that was um, at risk because um, of this article. And I think um, a lot of that was stemming from a sense from the university to protect its students from discrimination, which is like coming from a good place. Like if a student is gay and they um, are not allowed to be student body president because of that, that's like terrible. Like these, these types of policies are good to have in, in those cases. But do you really want a student leading in an organization that, um, they don't agree with that organization's beliefs, right? Like, would you have a Muslim student lead a Christian organization? Would you have someone who is a Republican be the president of the Democratic um, Student Alliance, you know? Um, 
so it makes sense in in some facets, but to blanket that for every organization um, was problematic. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're just talking about the story now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you like personally, like in that in that kind of space with your students? What was your sense from God of just how to respond to that? Was it just kind of like hang on and keep existing, or? Yeah. So I think for us it was. Um, we really had to wrestle with God. And I yeah. think this is something that myself and my co-leader were, no, were used to, like wrestling with God about this question of sexuality. Um, really what it came down to is, do we think that it's important enough If God has told us that something is like a sin or something is wrong or, not, or against his will, and is that enough for us to stand with him? Um, or are we going to kind of bend our beliefs of what God has told us is right or wrong to the will of others in order to make a place more inclusive or more welcoming. And I think like a big part of my heart wants to do that because um, the church is historically and even now is just not a very safe and welcoming place for LGBT sure. people. So could I just bend a little bit so mm -hmm. that they can feel completely yeah. welcome in this space. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for me, it's like, I feel like you can be welcome and still disagree on theology. Right. Um, but I don't think that generally the world agrees with yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so for us, it was really like a, a self-evaluation. Uh, yeah. Like, do we, is it is it worth being kicked off right. campus right. to align ourselves with right. what we think God is right. saying and doing. Yeah, and, and certainly there's probably a, a little bit of distance between like your small group and like directly engage, direct engagement with like university officials who are discerning whether or not to kick you off campus. So for you guys, it's that, that distance probably leaves it so that your opposition is self-reflection, community discernment, and existing. Like just, just pressing on, still existing. And prayer as a community for boldness, but not necessarily, maybe not even have the opportunity to do some of those other, I mean, certainly not run away, uh, uh, not in direct enemy love, some of those things. JP, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested when you're saying that, you know, the, you guys are, have a space, you're on Florida Avenue, neighborhood association is like um, garnering with public officials to kind of turn any any pressure that they can against the landlords of the space that you're in because they want you out. They just want you out of the neighborhood. Can you just process out loud a little bit? Like, what what do you think? What what are some what what is the neighborhood association threatened by? Um, by the well. What 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 why? If that opposition is coming out so strong, what is threatening to them about the mission you do? And then maybe a little bit of how you guys responded to that. Uh, I guess what threatens them is that 
their homes, uh, like their neighborhood will look as nice or the businesses won't flourish. Um, granted, I understand like you wanna, you bought your first home, I get it. You wanna make it look nice, you wanna make it look beautiful, but um, at the same time, it affects people around you. So if it if it weighed for that, your house and all those other houses can raise them in value, you wanna get out the people who d d uh, discredit your value in that area. I do have a quick story too. So often what I receive is like debate oppression. So, but, um, but Bishop Chuck, a friend of ours, uh, he's actually a volunteer of ours. He received like a lot of like hostility from the city. Um, he's a huge advocate for um, uh, people who live who are in poverty. Sure. So I think what happened to him was that he's a, so he's a priest. So obviously they used the priest uh, weapon against him, saying that he was sexually abusing people. And even though it wasn't true at all. So what happened was he, uh, so oftentimes people come to him for volunteer hours. He's often just signs off like, okay, you came in for two hours. All right, I'll give you 10 hours, whatever. Just give me a hug and, you, you, and we're good to go. Uh, and so versus like they, the police came and took that as like sexual favors. And so what they did, they came in one day, they, they bulldozed through the door, even though it was unlocked with video cameras, came in, arrested him, put him in jail, now he's being framed as like a priest who sexually abuses people, which is, isn't true. Because none of the charges actually went against him or had him held up. And no one knows that because there's no rebuttal, like no like information came out afterwards saying, oh my gosh, this isn't true, this is all false. Of course, people just keep leaving their lives. And so there's a way that being an advocate, oftentimes you get direct opposition from the city and also from the police. Yeah. Um, but I guess going back to your questions, like they're just threatened by I guess their money and also what they've perceived to be a way of like American dream, having this nice house and then all these different things. So even I come in opposition to that because I'm in, I am a middle-class person who moved into the inner city. So I have an effect on that too. Yeah. So what do I do differently that don't right. that cause it? So I'm, I'm actually looking forward to building, actually buying a new house in the area. So what am I going to do about that? Right. Uh, right. So the thing is for me is like, do I want to invest on the external side of my house or maybe invest into the inside of my house? Yeah. Um, do I want to maybe kids in the neighborhood who are looking to cut somebody's grass? You can cut my grass. Um, am I befriending people in my neighborhood versus saying, like, these people are bad, call the cops on them? Yeah. Uh, there, right. there are tons of ways you can rethink and reshape it in your own head to really like, rethink, how am, how am I attributing to this? Yeah. Granted, it's going to happen. In the next, I'm surprised that Good Samaritan is still there. So within the next few couple of years, it's going to happen. Hopefully, I can slow it down. Yeah. So I try to be a part of neighborhood association meetings. Like try to go, hey, we're here. Don't forget about these people. These people have value. They're actually here first. We're coming into their place, to, to their homes. Right. right. So let's not forget about them. Right. Right. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good uh, example. Like engaging in the neighborhood association meetings is an example of like not running away not hiding and just keeping it moving with your ministry as if it doesn't exist, but some version of direct engagement yeah. with the opposition. Yeah. And the way you carry yourself in those no neighborhood association meetings can be a mixture of enemy love and nonviolent protest. You know, it's like, like sometimes you're, you're the one who brings the cookies to the meeting, and then halfway through the meeting, it's like, y'all are messed up. <laughs> right, so I, I, I just love, like, again, the spectrum on that. Can we, can we give these leaders a hand really quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, friends. Um, 
We do have the uh, – this is underground. We don't really care. Uh, we Well, we care. We just don't do transitions very well. Can somebody help me just stack these chairs in the corner over there? <laughs> we laugh. <laughs> Thanks, man. We have choir Sunday. Usually I just leave it. Thanks, Thanks man. This is awesome. Um, but, yeah, the, we got choir Sunday, so we need, we need the choir here in a minute. We need it. I, did you guys hear the spectrum? Do you hear tension there? I think there's examples of like, like even the ways in which opposition is happening. Some of the opposition is like direct. Some of the opposition is like trying to remove or silence you. But even if you heard from Jillian and even you heard from JP there, some of the opposition is a competition of narrative. It's like coming back at you and saying and trying to cast a narrative over you about who you are, what your ministry can and can't do, the effectiveness, the meaning of doing it, uh, of trying to cast false accusations against you and trying to actually spread those around the community to defeat your credibility in the community as a leader. The opposition can look a lot of different ways. It can come from a lot of different places, and the way that you respond to it can be different. Um, and at the end of the day, you – in, in, in the experience of opposition and in your perseverance of opposition, I hope you heard that you better be engaging that in community and listening to the Spirit of God. Because you, you like if left to yourself, left to yourself to decide without community, without like mutual wisdom, communal wisdom, communal submi mutual submission, trying to figure out how like what is God saying about what we should do, and without the Spirit of God speaking and leading, left to your own devices, you'll probably quit. I can't tell you how many microchurches we've like set like, like so much vision at the front end. So they feel called by God. I think they are called by God. They're like, we, we're supposed to start this. We're supposed to do this. I'm supposed to start this. We're supposed to do this. And they get off the ground and we've got all these like, like media services and financial services and facilities. It's so great. And like, like this is starting off such a bang. Maybe we like, they, 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 we tell their story. They got a couple great stories and they start experiencing a little bit of opposition. People start like, like their reputation starts to be tarnished. Or the people that they, they feel like they should love and serve, those people uh, uh, react negatively to one little thing that they do or say or believe or something like that because it starts to poke at an idol a little bit in their life. And suddenly, just like, I, I, I can't tell you how many people I've seen that are like, this is not what I signed up for. I did not sign up for opposition. There was not a, a, a section of the calling lab that told me about opposition. There, was, there is not a department in the underground that says, dealing with opposition, who's the director? Who's the director? You know, the, the reality is, we're actually, when you, when you are called by Jesus and you say yes, and you say, yes, God, I am going to go now from this day forward and, and pursue the, 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 the fruition of some creative expression of the church, some witnessing community among these people, you actually invite opposition. The moment you say yes, you invite opposition. Because the kingdom of God, when, when faithfully proclaimed and demonstrated, is going to come at idols. And there's going to be some difficulty there. And even if it's not physical, visceral, in-your-face difficulty, you invite spiritual opposition. Immediately you invite spiritual opposition. It's an opposition that can be hard to discern. You're like, what's going on in here? And then you get, it, you get an elder or a coach in your life, and that elder looks at you and says, that's spiritual. <laughs> We got to pray. We got to pray. 
So I just need, I need you to hear from me and hear from these stories up here. What the, in order to persevere, you've got to have each other. We have to have each other. And we have to be embedded in community who's able to like persevere and walk through this kind of opposition together. The kingdom invites opposition. Kingdom leaders face opposition because the way of the kingdom is a threat to every other way. Will you embrace and persevere the right kinds of conflict? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And uh, I just want to end with this, this last idea. I think the temptation at the end of a conversation like this, we have a morning like this, we're talking about these kinds of things. I think the temptation is to ask God to have like a response in worship. And, and to have communion and to have prayer ministry and, and worship. And for that whole thing to be about, uh, uh, God, please end our opposition. Take it away. Take away our difficulty. Take away uh, 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 the persecution we face. Take away uh, um, uh, uh, the, the accusations or uh, all the difficulty. Take it away. To, to end a conversation like this, asking for God to end our opposition and mission. To ask for an escape from our persecution and then to trust him to do that to leave this space trusting he's going to do that he heard our prayers he's going to answer our prayers there's going to be a way out of this but as we continue to be formed by the way of the kingdom of god and the ethic of the early church in acts i think it's important to constantly remember that the disciples never asked for that not once they never asked for that to escape it for it to go away and it's equally important to realize that the historic witness of the church in persecuted places through history and today don't ask for that. Rarely ask for the liberation of their persecution and oppression, but they ask for something else. They ask for something else. I was reminded this week of that powerful prayer in the life of the early church in Acts 4 in a season of intense persecution when they're under threat in the middle of Jerusalem when they arrest Peter and James, their best leaders at the time. I mean, their leaders are sitting in prison, the best of them, the most faithful of them, sitting in prison. Health and wealth, where's that? The most faithful among them, sitting in prison. And they're like, what, what do we do with this kind of opposition? What do we do with this kind of persecution? This is what they pray. They say, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and even Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants, enable us, to speak your word with great boldness to stretch our hand stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus they didn't say God uh, uh, turn the city to have favor on us God turn, turn the hearts of the city to love what we're doing remove all persecution and difficulty and oppression anybody who would want something like that silence them remove their power Entrust to us power and comfort and safety. They don't pray any of that. What they do is they, they actually worship and acknowledge who God is. 
and they worship and remember Jesus. That Jesus actually had great opposition stirred against him. The rulers of the world stirred against him. And actually that opposition wasn't something to be removed from. But God was actually conspiring in that opposition with his will. God, God is so powerful, so sovereign that even within our opposition he's at work. And we, the servants of Jesus, exist in that lineage. And so God, don't remove that from us. But actually strengthen us with boldness to speak the word powerfully in the midst of it. Give us boldness. Give us boldness. And I think that prayer is a prayer of resistance. Because what that prayer names is it says that in our opposition, God is sovereign. And he's actually inviting us through our opposition into greater intimacy with the sufferings of Christ Jesus. That actually blessed are those who suffer for the sake of Christ Jesus. That our opposition actually invites us into sacred space, blessed space. That God in his power and wisdom is turning our own opposition for our good. To be able to share in the blessed space of suffering with Christ Jesus. To share in his suffering. So why would we pray for that to end? Why would we pray for that to go away? But we ask to persevere it. God, don't make it overrun us. But, but enable us by your power, by your spirit to speak with boldness in the midst of it. In the midst of it. And to, and to, and to uh, in, enable us with wisdom and clarity to be able to navigate it in the ways that are consistent with your will. Will you do the same this morning? Will you respond that way this morning? I dare you to respond that way this morning. Will you bring to Jesus the opposition you face? Whether it's big and massive or if it's small and simple or if it's, if, if it's through narrative or it's spiritual or it's right in your face or if it's with your family, it's with people you love. Will you bring it this morning to Jesus? As a missional leader, as a microchurch leader, as missionaries in the city, will you bring that opposition this morning to Jesus, to his feet? And I just want to invite you, if you can't, if you can't think of any opposition that you face, if you can't think of a, of a, of a single space of opposition against mission in your life, I, I, don't, I, I, I don't want to say it like you're being unfaithful to your calling or to the gospel or something like that. You, you may actually very well be fully faithful, but would you invite God to give you a radical vision for the mission of your microchurch in a way that actually pokes idols? Because if you're not facing opposition, I just wonder if you're effectively poking the idols which actually bind your people who need liberation. And so would you, would you, would you say, God, God, give me a vision this morning. Give me wisdom that's from you, supernatural wisdom from you this morning about the people that you called me to. And about the radical nature of our witness among those people in that space. Will you do that this morning? As we come to the table, would you come hungry? you come hungry for God to enable you by his spirit with boldness that he actually wants to strengthen you in the space of that opposition he actually wants to grow in intimacy with you and the sufferings of Christ Jesus in the space of that opposition so bring it this morning bring it this morning and remember this morning that he too was faithful in the midst of opposition and that opposition wasn't counter to the will of God for him but he stayed faithful to it 
and by his death, by his resurrection, he now wants to enable you with power and wisdom to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel in a faithful, authentic way to liberate people from idols. He wants to contest with the idols among the people you're called to. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body, broken for you. When you eat it, you eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. When you drink it, you drink it in memory of me. So this morning, underground family, the body and the blood, the elements given for you. Come, when you're ready, bring bring it with you. Bring the opposition with you and entrust it to him this morning. When you're ready, the elements given for you.